0: Hey there, documentary lovers. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Melanie Dark, here with my co-host Jim Hudson, and this is Podumentary, a show where we deep dive, dig into, and unpack the details of a documentary in glorious detail. He didn't want to be that George Carlin anymore. He wanted to
1: be a different George Carlin. What I really was, was a rebel can't educate our young people, can't get health care to our old people, but we can bomb the shit out of your country, all right? Stand-up's the hardest thing. He did the hardest thing for the longest time. He was challenging society to be better. Life is sacred? Who said so? God? Hey, if you read history, you realize that God is one of the leading causes of death. George
0: is still relevant. He changed comedy three or four times and he's still talking to us.
1: Things that he was getting at were so profound to the culture. What would you do if you were the planet trying to defend against this pesky species oh. viruses? They try to divide people so that they can run off with all the fucking money. Bullshit is the glue that binds us as a nation. It's the American dream because you have to be asleep to believe it.
0: Okay, so we're picking up on part two of George Carlin's American Dream. And at the end of part one, it was uh, a career dip for George. Um, He was becoming what we were referring to as yesterday's news. And so the struggle continues as we begin part one.
1: But he's intentional and going, wait a minute, you guys are making fun of me. Uh, I'll show you. I mean, that's now his objective is to. Yeah. Look, I've been holding back for the kids right. safety. I'm not doing that anymore. You guys are, you guys are hitting below the belt. So I'm going right. all in.
0: And it seems to me in terms of his comedy that the gloves being off for him taking his critical width, which was aimed previously at hypocrisies without a lot of weight to them. Words. Yeah. Um, etc. And, driving them over toward weighty issues, right. politics, Religion, social issues. Church, right. So that's kind of that abortion. his the same his same energy, his same tone, but just really honed the in these places. Yeah. But he is struggling badly in his personal life at this point. He's going off on drug binges right. when Brenda got out of the hospital and was sober. She insisted that drugs no longer come back to the house. And so he could not bring drugs or do drugs in the house, which, again, fascinating. He kept the promise like he didn't.
1: He'd disappear. <laughs> right. He, he did the Spencer Tracy, as we call it.
0: Oh, drug. I didn't know that. As yeah. we call it in the drug world, we're going to have to talk about that off the line.
1: um A hey, question at, for you. Yeah. There are points where George Carlin is actually narrating the documentary. Yeah. How did they do that? Was there supposed to be a documentary on his life that he was a part of? You know, and, or was it for something else? Do we know?
0: We don't. I, I I'm sure they do. It seems to me because there was so much audio and video of them speaking about their lives. I have to believe that they must have had some idea that they were going to put something like this together.
1: I mean, remember he had a he had a project that I forget what it was called, but about The animated George Carlin. Yeah. And he had to scrap it because. Is that upcoming? It's right. It's part of this section. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, No. I thought that was in the previous, but go ahead.
0: No, you brought it up and it's a good thing to talk about. During this time of struggle, he actually had a project that he called The Animated George Carlin and he was excited about it. He talked about it on shows. Um, However, he never actually succeeded in raising the funding for it and so every all of the pre-production costs including you know paying people salaries to work on the pre-production part he was just paying yeah with no forward momentum or movement toward an actual delivery of a product and he did it for three years which is wild it's not cheap i want to interview the people who were paid by george carlin for three years
1: to to do in effect do nothing
0: (laughs) And how did we not get the job? That's what I want to know.
1: One of the headlines of his irrelevancy caught my eye. It's, uh, George Carlin has fallen between the cracks.
0: I loved did that. Did you like that one? It was a headline. I <laughs> yeah, loved that. was a that. headline. That was a great... I wanted to look that one up and see who wrote that. because Falling that is between the, the
1: wise <laughs>
0: Um His record sales were dropping. So also he... Not only was he... Um, you know, this money was sort of bleeding out toward this animated George Carlin project that was just a pipe dream at this point. His record sales are also dropping because comedy records were falling out of vogue at that time. And then, to top it off, apparently he didn't pay his taxes for three years. Oops. (laughs) Um, And then, you know, it comes out that he was supporting three families and they list out his own family, his grown daughter's family, And his brother, which is sweet. I mean, I actually, when I found out that he was, when they mentioned that he was supporting his brother, I don't know. That was sweet. It's very codependent, by the way, the little theme, but
1: but very sweet. Money was never a driver for him. Yeah. He wanted it to have it, but as he sat on a plane, right. but it never, you don't feel that theme. It wasn't the thing. Ever, right? Right. Like yeah, Prince wanted to be the first artist to get a million dollars in album. Right, like that. that was never a land a benchmark for him. And he wanted so to be
0: authentic, and he wanted to be seen as he was.
1: Correct, and, and he and yeah, he wanted to leave his voice. Right, which he certainly certainly did. Yeah. So to the fact that he's not good with it or dishing it out to loved ones, right, a surprise.
0: And at this point, let's just take a beat to acknowledge the fact that he is only 45 years old at this point, which is wild. It's younger than both of us. Put together. We're very young. Put together. (laughs) He's 45 years old. And at this point, at 45, one of the things that happens to him is he has a DUI, like he has a crash under the influence, goes through the windshield and is injured. And then not too long after that, starts to experience chest pains at a Dodger game and almost dies. It's like
1: 1982. Yeah, I, I was starting to have an anxiety attack when <laughs> he was talking about that. Or actually, it's his manager talking. About right. It and how he's yeah. stretching his chest. Ugh.
0: At 45, which, okay, so let's, I mean, really is age a factor when you've done that much cocaine for that long. I don't think it is, right? You've done and You've
1: you got a, a family history of heart disease.
0: Right, and you have you've... you've abused that organ with the kinds of drugs that do abuse that organ. So, um, but this seems to be interestingly, and, you know, this is a little side note, a real moment for him, a wake up call for him. Like he, it seems to me they don't really talk about how he got off drugs. They don't discuss the manner in which he left drugs behind as a result of this scare. But it appears by the rest of the um, documentary that he does at that point. He's done. It like wakes him up. He gets serious, and that's that's that. We don't really see drugs as a continued struggle or theme. It's out. This. It's they're, out.
1: They're, yeah, it's just not, done. She's sober.
0: She's sober, he's and he's done. done. It's which is wild. Do you see that? You just don't just, see that. It's a switch, right? It's If just only wild. we
1: all were like that. Right. We wouldn't have a problem. Up <laughs> oh, forty five. I better stop.
0: Um, which now this is then sets the scene for what is his comeback and. That comes initially in the form of his very first cable special at a time when cable specials for comedians weren't a thing.
1: Yeah, was that one of the first?
0: It was one of the first, and in Carnegie Hall of no less, uh, you know, no less. So he's going, you know, he's been struggling. He, He works really hard on this material, and puts together this show, and it is a hit. And I forgot to mention the fact that it's also better for him financially and from um, his own individual perspective because it's the first time his own production company is producing it, which is he and Jerry Hamzer, who is one of the producers of this documentary. Um, And he basically speaks to the fact that then they maintain ownership over material and things like that um, when they're producing it themselves. And this is where he writes, and I don't know I know I know that you're not really a uh, or weren't really a, a big Carlin fan but I will say I 100% have such a clear memory of the first time I heard the stuff routine. More stuff. Take your stuff. Small stuff. I roared at that. I remember seeing this special and just the perspective on what seems so banal which is our things. And the way he exploded it into material that just just cascaded like from level to level, he just kept it was the stuff, and that stuff filled like twenty minutes of a bit, which is impressive
1: yeah i I had never heard it, and this is the first time I heard just a portion of it in his documentary, and I even wrote agreed with a place for my stuff uh, I romanticized staying away from home, but I always miss my stuff even if I don't use it yeah it's so true and and when hearing it i can understand it's it's a lure because yeah. it's so spot on.
0: Yeah, and the way he really unpacks and examines our relationship to it and just is so funny about it. And even the turn of phrase where he says, you ever notice that... Their shit is or their stuff is shit and your shit is stuff. Yeah. Uh, it's just <laughs> I, Even just that that seems like it's about stuff. But what it really is about is the way that we are not hard on ourselves and are hard on others. And we're not really holding ourselves to account for the sameness. And really, that's lives underneath this, like ve- what seems like a banal bit. But it really is calling out the hypocrisy, like our own hypocrisy and even including himself in on that. Right. that scrutiny, which I really I really loved.
1: Um, well, it hit me because I crashed at your place last week and I crashed at a friend's house over the weekend and I missed my you stuff. Missed your stuff. stuff. I don't use, right? But it's not there.
0: And listen, I have a real problem. In fact, my therapist gave me a hard time about it. You know, I mean, you'll see how many bags do I have in the room today. <laughs> I have such a need for the comfort of very specific stuff that lines up with how my experience is going to go that I am weighted down with bags of stuff all the time. And I can't give it up as much as it's been brought up to your point. I'm at a beautiful home right now, staying here while we're recording this, and I brought my own stuff to make coffee, even though they have a Keurig in the in the place. <laughs> yeah, I just can do it. So yes, I th- I think we both relate to that. Um, and and interestingly, so here's a period where they then talk about the comedians of that day, and Kinnison is one of them. I never was a Kinnison fan. I, I
1: mean, I thought he was so hilarious.
0: You did, okay. Uh. I just, and I think for me, Screamy, I can't do anything uh, But he screamy.
1: did it so, he did it so spot on. I, it, it, I didn't get into the whole Jessica Hahn becoming a heavy metal guy. <laughs> yeah, that's when I, uh, I don't get that. <laughs> but I thought, yeah, I, his stuff that I yeah. still listen to, I still laugh out
0: Listen, and empirically, I understand why he's popular and why he was good at what he did. So but He's
1: brilliant in Back to School. Never saw it. Oh, with Ronnie Dangerfield?
0: Never saw it. I was not a fan of Ronnie Dangerfield. Uh-oh. Nobody,
1: Trouble.
0: I know. Sorry. Um, No, I. I so they, they bring up Kinison and they bring up what Kinison was doing. And it was. It was new and it was groundbreaking. And it was so its own thing. And he really had a respect for what Kinison was doing. And instead of feeling deflated by it, which I do love, this is a repeated theme in him. I think a lot of people, we live by comparison and we let other people's, success or like the way that they're shining this specific way make us feel bad Ah, about ourselves i do it daily he did not and i love this about him he's like i'm going to use that guy as inspiration for what i'm about to do next is i'm going to use him to challenge myself to rise up and maybe even beyond what this guy is doing because he had such faith in himself like this faith that he knew i have it in me to keep going i have it in me to evolve to something even better even though he had already hit other heights where a lot of people would say "Mm, my time's done because he's an older guy
1: yeah 45
0: yeah yeah (laughs) not that old um so he aimed his sort of and you know we brought this up he aimed his critical wit at society's hypocrisies really took the gloves off and um and then I think this is funny too, because at this at this time, while he's uh, renewing himself and really deciding to be himself, he tries TV again, which felt like a little bit of a regression, right?
1: Oh, his TV show, but yeah, his
0: TV show. Now I get that he, I get that he. All right,
1: so I do have some stuff. Okay, hold I on. Like, it's interesting that you know they show Keniston and they have him singing cherry pie on Arsenio. I don't. I didn't get that Wait. transition. You don't remember that?
0: I don't. Tell me, like, say, explain it.
1: Some song about a cherry pie.
0: Who who's singing it?
1: Behind the keyboard oh, is, okay, uh, yes. is yeah is okay. uh, George Carlin.
0: Right. Okay.
1: The subject of the documentary.
0: Right. Okay. So, <laughs> okay. So okay. I, I know what you're talking about. So Kinison, right? He, there's Kinnison. He does the sort of
1: hungered kids in the desert, right. which is a brilliant bit. Sorry.
0: And then they do. They show this clip. Of George Carlin singing a song at the piano and playing the piano yeah. on Arsenio. I got to be honest. And he
1: sounds like John Cale.
0: And I just didn't understand what that was. Yeah,
1: it didn't make sense, yeah. right? Was that him being cutting edge? He's thinking about a piece of cherry pie. Well,
0: I was like, is he humanizing himself? I'm not sure what's happening here. Like, are we just supposed to be touched by the fact that George Carlin is playing the piano? I couldn't so figure out what it was.
1: So he's multiple, multi-talented? I guess. But what I don't was know. the song? I don't even know. Is it a, is it, was he like mocking a heavy metal song? I don't, I don't know.
0: Oh, I didn't even think about that. Maybe. I don't know. I just, honestly, it was so lost on me. I just kept going because I was just, mm, I don't know what that is. But then I
1: put, you know, the, the up special that Bill Burr went to. Right. I mean, that was so poignant for today. And, uh, what, uh, you know, he talks about a nim, he talks about NIMBYs.
0: Right. Not in my backyard. All right. Well, and I did love the the point. So so what happens here is Bill Burr is being interviewed. He talks about how he and his friends were going to a Carlin. They had bought tickets to a Carlin show with the express purpose of mocking Carlin, of laughing at
1: him. Right. This Not fossil. at his jokes,
0: but as himself in this right. outdated model of comedy. And instead, they're blown out of the water by right. what he's doing.
1: But as they were showing that, stand-up special and just how raw he was. And then I was thinking back to the clean Carlin. It's like, man, these are two completely different transitions. Absolutely. Of the same man. It's amazing. And better. Just better in his honesty, right? Just really Well, he getting- transcends what the pop culture is. He's now talking about what we're, I feel, we're living in today. Absolutely. Oh. And so if he came out today, he'd be hitting... On every note.
0: Oh, I wish you like there's so much all of this, the fodder for Carlin and and at some point W. Kamal Bell says, you know, Lenny Bruce is what he is, like a legend, but we're not quoting him today in reference to society and what's happening, right? Um but that TV show that he tried, it was his own show. I don't remember it at all, but I will say it was in ninety three. I went back and looked. It's ninety three you and I were. Was it on Fox know, wild in ninety three? I
1: don't know. I have no recollection. Because it looked like kind of a home improvement type wannabe.
0: Probably, yeah. Couldn't,
1: there was no way it was gonna to touch Gary Shanley. No show. memory of it whatsoever. Well, I was working at Fox T V at the time and so I kinda I don't know if it was on Fox. I just remember it having no interest in no interest in wanting to see it. And Right. Is that when um you took me to the rap
0: party for In Living Color? Yeah. <laughs> oh wow that's crazy um, at Prince at Princess Club Vertigo wasn't that what it was called I believe I
1: believe it was Princess Club remember Magic Johnson was there
0: yeah I have such memories of that
1: rubbing elbows
0: I bet you that I bet you that Jennifer Lopez was there
1: she was a, she's a uh, fly, fly girl. girl
0: right oh gosh our, our Rosie history. Perez Rosie Perez she was the, was she a fly girl
1: she was the choreographer oh
0: that's right that's right what a trip god that was a thousand I wonder if
1: George Carlin was there <laughs> Come on, why wouldn't he? he yeah, in... Wasn't he living in LA at the time? What are we yeah. talking? Ninety.
0: Yeah, that was a weird neighborhood. I still drive past what that building it? every now and then and think, wow, this is a weird place to put a club. What is it now? Well, it's just as you head into downtown. I mean, what is that place. building now? I don't know.
1: It's <laughs> nondescript.
0: <laughs> anyway, that'll be our next podcast <laughs> it's covering Prince's Woe-Begotten former club. Was it, it? Was called Vertigo? Was it? I think that's. I mean, that that sounds that, right. I man. could be totally wrong. Which we
1: can look that up. Yeah,
0: tweet us. Um. Okay. So he returns to stand up. This TV show fails. He's actually that's bittersweet to him because the truth is he wasn't happy.
1: Yeah, but what's he gonna say? Oh, I'm miserable. I kind of felt that was a little bit disingenuous.
0: Well, no, because they talk about the fact that the reason he was not happy to go on the road is because he wanted to spend time with Brenda and and he was working fourteen hours a day. And I think that they they talk about this with intention because it's at this point that Brenda starts to have some health issues. And I think that that's part and parcel of why, right? He's wanting to be home, wanting to spend more time with her. They basically start to show journals and, and calendars where he's writing in, these are his entries where he's writing in, you know, Brenny's gallbladder scan, Brenny's, you know, and the fact that with each note It's not looking good. It's not looking like it's just a gallbladder this or just a gallbladder that. And in fact, um, it turns out to be terminal liver cancer, which is a blow, right?
1: That is correct.
0: Yeah. And I I really loved the fact that they opened this part of the documentary with his, you know, he's accepting some sort of award and he's given a speech and really she is the total focus of it. And he's really just giving her all the credit for being... Um, such an amazing partner and really just the, the bedrock of what his career was built off.
1: Of. But they show his, that reward acceptance before they let us know that yes. she has terminal cancer. Yes. I just doubled back a little. Right. But I think it was done well because had they done it the reverse, it would look like he was only doing that because he knows. Right. Her time left is short. Right. But he was giving that speech out of pure gratitude. She could have, whether she was healthy or ill right. or otherwise, he knew the yeah. truth that he was there because of her.
0: Yeah, you kind of go back to their daughter's early thing where he she really says like they were a team. Yeah. His. And so very sad um, that she's now sick. He moves into a space of denial. And um, which is common, right? That's not I mean, that's just I think I think we all do that to some degree, either by about our own, uh, medical problems or other people's. Um, and, and while she's, you know, not well, he goes on a 10 day tour that was already booked. Um, but he, and, and I, I believe and correct me if I'm wrong. I believe that he has a Book coming out and so the tour exists as a way to give lift to this book that's about to so he feels like he can't cancel it because he's got this book publish coming up
1: brain droppings
0: brain droppings that's right thank you for that um and so he goes which i honestly of course you know hindsight being 2020 and you're just outside of it i was like what i mean i couldn't imagine that anybody's You know, if you, you, anybody that you love is terminal, that means that every moment between now and whatever that day is, that's it, right? You've got this finite thing. So that's a pretty, that's commitment to career, but it's also pretty strong denial that you're like, I'm off for 10 days in a time where it's all rapidly winding up. Sorry about that. Um, Okay, so while he's on the tour, they call him to come back because they're saying they don't think she'll make it. I couldn't get a sense of um, the timing of all of this. Um,
1: was it day two? It or day seven? Yeah,
0: I couldn't. I couldn't understand how long you've been gone. A and B. I couldn't understand if he made it. They don't really say that he makes it in time before she passes, and it made me wonder if that was intentional. Like if they didn't talk about because. It's 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 Jerry Hamzer who says, you know, I don't know if he was there in time to see her before she passed. But I do know that he took a Kleenex and wiped a tear from her eye and held on to that Kleenex until the day he died, which is also very sad, and very poignant.
1: So would it be as sad as he was near moments away? Yeah, I just so much so that they didn't body had not been touched? Potentially.
0: I just, um, like maybe he made it, she's still there, but she's gone, you know. I've definitely been a part of somebody's passing from cancer and um, he passed and then we spent about the next six or seven hours with people kind of coming in and out before we made decisions about the next sort of phase of where he was going. So you just, I just don't know. I just thought it was interesting that they don't, I think he might have missed it because they don't mention any kind of what the experience was to be reunited with her or to see her or, right? They really don't touch on that. So it makes me wonder if maybe she was already gone.
1: Um, I would say he was moments late. Probably.
0: I I would agree with that. And it was really, she died on Mother's Day, which is crushing from a kid's perspective. Um, And I just, gosh, I just, they were telling the story about how he just came in and was holding her hands and saying like, oh, Brenny, oh, Brenny, like, oh, it was heartbreaking. Just really tugged at my heartstrings and um, that he said, we drove every mile of this country together. You know, just I imagine too, you see, you know, you see the the country with a person every single time you go a new place. It's like that person was there with you. Yeah. Like on oh, just. So heavy. there's
1: memories of her everywhere, everywhere. everywhere. Yeah, and
0: that everywhere. every place you go, you're confronted you that, with. Yeah. yeah. Just tough, really tough. Um, that brings us into what I have in my notes called kind of the final act um, and that brings him in, it really brings him into this phase of his life post the death of his wife, where you see, um, you know, a lot of darkness kind of link into his perspective, really that the, you know, his pessimism is kind of grizzled into something a little harsher, I would say. And his philosophy to that point is, you know, let go of the hope for a good outcome for the human experiment and disconnect from that and relate to it as an observer, which is a little Buddhist, I'll I'll, I'll say. It's not, that's not totally bleak. There's a, that's a Buddhist philosophy, right? Is uh, impermanent, embrace impermanence and let go of expectation. Um, But, and we'll get to that because that does get darker. So it's not quite dark there. And they talk about his health struggles, Right. That they continue. He's in and out of.
1: He's thin as a rail. He's So thin.
0: Yeah. And he's really struggling. His heart issues are getting and he's missing shows. He's in and out of doctor's appointments. And quite frankly, lonely. He was a guy who, as much as he was a misanthrope and as much as he really enjoyed um, just being with his family or whatever, he really did need a counterpart, it seems. And let me just tell you, so this is going to bring me to around this era, like around this time of his life, I had a George sighting um, in the Cuckoo Roo on Wilshire in Santa Monica. I went in to go get food. I was in line to order. um, And in he breezes. He breezes in. They all knew him. And he goes around to the side and they're, hi, they're all greeting him. Hi, George. Hi, George. And they hand him his order and out he goes. And he's like, he's giving smiles and hellos to everybody as he's going in and out. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, that's George Carlin. Yeah. So that was my, that's my one brush with George Carlin in my actual.
1: Was he actually saying hi to people? Oh, yeah.
0: He's being very sweet.
1: Was his voice loud? No. He like,
0: wasn't remember being loud. Remember that one time?
1: Were you with me when we saw Lou Ferrigno in the.
0: Yes, we were right. together.
1: And he didn't even wait. He just said, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I know I'm a star. <laughs> yes. I'm not bad mouthing Lou Ferrigno. Of course not. I'm just, I'm just saying that. Right. He didn't have time. Right. To acknowledge if we acknowledged him or not. He just assumed we did. Was George doing the the same thing? The
0: vibe that I got was that he was a regular and he was behaving like a regular. And he was getting a, a little extra love because he's George Carlin. So they all, like, they were ready for him. They had his order ready. And they were all, as he came in, they were all sort of helloing him from behind the counter. And he was helloing them back. So it wasn't patrons as much as it was the workers. They knew him. So you could tell he'd, been, he'd gone in there a lot.
1: So if the camera adds 10 pounds, how skinny was he in the kookaroo? And shouldn't he be more to Taco Bell or Jack <laughs> in the Box to get some weight going? He
0: actually looked, he just looked like himself. I didn't notice him being gaunt. I just noticed him being older and just super excited that I was having a Carlin sighting.
1: Sure. I weird. never, I, I never had one.
0: Breathing the same air, you know, I didn't meet him, but uh, I mean, because I think you and I can agree and, and when you, when you live in Los Angeles, there's this unspoken rule that because they live here that you don't bother them. Like it's, there's no, you don't get excited or, I mean, you might get excited. depends on who it is, but you don't actually bother them. Uh. Um, I can't, in fact, the only famous people I've ever bothered was Al Franken. Um, and God, I think that's it. I think Al Franken might be it. But generally I just let them sort of be at a distance. And I feel like that's kind of like if you're a townie, it's
1: kinda how you navigate it. I just don't do it because I'm too shy to do it. It's not any kind yeah. of unwritten rule. Oh well, you're wrong. Oh well.
0: It <laughs> may exist. Kidding.
1: I'm not gonna adhere to I'm Stop like George kidding. Carlin. I'm not gonna follow the rules.
0: Um so his heart issues are ramping up and um I mean, his health struggles continue rather. And and he's, you know, this is in a time of loneliness and, and his friends are talking about how he really just really did need someone to share his whole life. He had shared the George Carlin-ness of his life, right? And he needed that. And lo and behold, in walks Sally Wade, a woman he met in a bookstore. They were the only two in the bookstore. What did you think about the fact that he said, I loved this. I thought this is super honorable. He said, I'm going to call you in eight months, which will be the year mark since I lost my wife and stuck to it. Like it, this is a person who has so little ability. Like there's areas of his life where his self-control is non-existent, right? You're on a plane, on a tarmac with cocaine. On the one, but on the other hand, you're making choices in your career that, that pose great risk. This is similar to me where you meet someone, you click, you don't out of fear jump at this potential thing and risk because you don't, it's like if you're fear-based, you're thinking, I can't believe it. I met somebody that I like and wow, she seems to like me too. And I don't want to miss out on this. Like I don't want to lose this person. So I'm going to capitalize on it now. Timing be damned. He never operates that way.
1: But maybe he should have, right? It's a little bit hypocritical of him because it seems quite ritualistic. Right In the sense that he's going to wait. She's dead, right? She's gone. Right, but you have a child. Eight days, eight months. You have a child. You're thinking, how old's the child at this time?
0: It doesn't really matter. That's as eight
1: a- less months he got to spend with the second love of his life.
0: I will say it does matter. I'll disagree with you in terms of age. Because your child is still having a grieving experience that's upset the dynamic of her world. Which is, my parents are no they longer. They could have
1: been clandestine. <laughs> and have the daughter not noticed. Keep it. Okay. Uh yeah. I, at the end of, at the end of the day it is what it is. It is what I, it is. I, I just
0: really I thought it was yet another example of him having like understanding admirable. what was what he needed and going there might be risks yeah, and I might lose things. This is what I need.
1: That's a good point.
0: So he's like I'll come back to you in 8 months and did
1: and he did circled back. Thankfully, he was around for at least another. And eight her months. too, like that. She and could have been too. in a
0: couple, like in a couplehood, like. Well, she, he could
1: have they been. They call those relationships if dead. I remember correctly. <laughs> I'm just trying to take a position here, uh, other than I, my knee jerk reaction is to agree with you. That's admirable, man. He knows what he wants, and he's but he's also going to be respectful of others. And wait the eight months. But I'm trying to look at it from a different way. What, why? Right? It, let's take the daughter out and affecting the daughter. Just, but I think he still would. I think he still would have done it in respect to his past wife, whether there was a daughter there or not. Right. Either way, that that's the position. And maybe I'm he was
0: honoring his grieving process.
1: Maybe, and then I would then. But if you go from the life is short, seize the day. Why not start right there and do the. Live with her for two weeks, like he did with his right. first love of his life.
0: Yeah, and maybe he just—I mean, honestly, I think it could have been prudent because the truth is, you might not have what what a relationship needs. You you don't have it in you're grieving. If you're still sort of, if I've been with somebody for thirty years yeah. and they just died, I really don't have. I can't be a great
1: partner to you at I, first. I totally agree on that. Yeah. But, what so, is, but but he but he was doing it based on an anniversary, Not right. On the yeah. the time to heal.
0: Interesting, and he that he called it right. He's like, I'll be good in eight months, and was. Um, So he he's ramping up to a, another HBO show at this point. HBO seems to be um, his, you know, preferred. That was where his first cable show was. And um, his daughter said she hadn't seen him in about three months, which is also interesting. They were both, I believe they were both uh, Los Angeles at the time, but you know how life goes. And she said she went in to see him before this HBO show, and she was... Shocked at how shrunken and puffy he was, and that he was struggling to breathe. Did you notice that too? I noticed in his face that there was a lot of his face was really filled out toward the end. Yeah,
1: I thought he looked good. I thought it might be steroids or something. Yeah, right. Um, I thought it fit him well.
0: And listen, if this is a person that she's saying she watched him up close struggle to breathe, then they go into the clip of him, he's performing at that at a high energy level for a guy who was not feeling great and, like, really struggling and still was showing up, you know, just, honestly, a performer to the end, right? Like, just such a performer. But his comedy went really dark at the end. Like, he was saying things like, you know what makes me happy? Watching my species destroy itself. Right. And tune in to my next show. It's called Fuck Hope. (laughs) And Colbert even says at this point, he lost me at the end. Like, and it's because it just went too bleak too dark, and I think people sort and of I notice. And like,
1: I like that he was... A, he said that on a documentary, an homage to this person, and that the, the the makers of this documentary kept it in. I, oh, thought, yeah. that, I thought that was
0: Yeah, well that he was done. honest about this pivot didn't work for him. Right.
1: But also, didn't judge it as right or wrong, it just it was too much for him.
0: It's too much. And he took his comedy into a place... I think the truth is when we get when the when it's not as much of a joke anymore, like hyper hyperbole is funny when it's got some distance from the truth. Right. When there's a little truth baked in. But if you really take it to the extreme, it's it's funniest because you are aware of the distance between it and what's real. I think as he got older, that bleakness was an actual perspective that then loses a little bit of this funny because it's not hyperbole, right? You're really there. You're in that spot going, fuck hope. Then it's not as funny anymore. You're just like, you know, that's just how you're seeing things. Um, so that's kind of where I, my brain, I noodled a little bit on it.
1: I mean, what, you know, he avoided shock his whole career, right? I mean, he didn't need it because he was just so intelligent and so such a good wordsmith at right. saying what he said. that He didn't need to resort to shock. Right. You think at the end, because of his tiredness and yeah. age, maybe that was he was now just going to shock people in his. I mean, maybe last
0: potentially or maybe I mean, honestly, as he's been somebody who clearly kept revealing himself as he went along.
1: But they even say he didn't want all his species to kill each other and he didn't want. Hope to be fucked.
0: Well, I think it depends though, right? Because they say, she says he didn't mean that. He didn't want to see people kill each other. And then they cut to Jerry Hamzer who knew him his whole career. And he said, oh, he absolutely wanted that. (sighs) I think it depends. The lens, what what I loved about that moment and those two opposite perspectives on him is we're kind of defined by the people defining us. (laughs) Right. There's to some degree, the truth of who we are is very much affected by who's telling it. And I loved the fact that she immediately was like, oh, he didn't love that. He did not love seeing, you know, the species kill itself. And Hamza was like, oh, he loved it. He absolutely loved it. It's just interesting to me. Um, and I wanted to, I wanted what you thought. Um, well, let me dial a little bit back. I loved this line. There's a lot of him talking about his political perspective and the way he sort of views where we're at. And he says, we're led to feel free by the exercise of meaningless choices. And I really thought about now and today and how much we have in the world that is at our fingertips to decide about and how we struggle about our access to decide about really pivotal and important things. And that was how many years ago that he said that. And it's, you know, in so many ways it's true. The
1: whole ending, yeah. I think, is intentional to show that what he was saying in his last years are more yeah, poignant now than they were when he was saying
0: it. Yeah, I think you're right. And this is, so we're winding up towards the end, obviously. Um, His last show, I mean, honestly, I was struck by the fact that his mind is still as sharp as ever, but he looks exhausted.
1: He looks so tired. He was still sharp as a pack.
0: His eyes, what I noticed is it's really like, his eyes were really hooded and he just really looked tired, but he was just, God, he was so sharp. And then his daughter is really, she really, they wrap the documentary up with her talking about her last call with him. And I just, I really... I got emotional when I was watching this part because I just thought what a gift it was. She talks about calling him and how he never picks up, never picks up his phone, but he happened to. And then she said it was a couple of days before he passed and he picked up the phone and she said that, you know, in terms of the conversation, they met each other in this place that they had never met each other before. And that, you know, she really said to him, I went back to Hawaii. I went to the place where I drew up the treaty and I let it all go. And, you know, they don't point at any of her issues that she clearly, I mean, you'd have to come away with, you know, issues um, that you, you know, with your parents as you live that life with them. And it's so fraught with so many things. They don't really go heavy into that. And, you know, that's probably a choice, but she really nods to it there, right? Which is that between them, there's this thing and probably between both parents before Brenda died you know, the thing that exists between you and your parents when you're struggling with the things that they're, the ways that their decisions and behaviors landed on you. And that she says to him, you know, I let it all go. I let it all go. And it's okay. Like everything's okay. And she says, you know, she unburdened them essentially both. She unburdened them both of those years um, of what that dysfunction had done to her and to their relationship and that he was emotional and, you know, cried, Imagine that being like your last call with your parent before you lose them. It's just really touching, really, really touching. Um, My own, you know, my father passed away really suddenly when I was 34. I had my own experience where I hadn't seen him. I'd missed his birthday. I was out of town. I was in Vegas of all places, which I hate. Um, But his, you know, his birthday had happened over the weekend. I didn't get to, you know, go over and have dinner or anything with him during the week earlier I got back, my friend's mother had passed away on that Monday. And so I got really wrapped up in that, like helping my friend and dealing with that. Then I finally got home from helping her and was really like behind, oh, I got to clean. I got to do all these things. And I thought about my daddy at the time I was living close to him. And so his office was just around the corner. And I thought, oh gosh, I should go see my dad because I I missed his birthday and And then my next thought was just, I can't look at, I looked around my house. There's so much to do. I was gone. I got to unpack. I got to do laundry. I got to do these dishes. I started to do the dishes and I don't even remember changing my mind. I have no, I couldn't tell you what changed my mind. I just stopped doing the dishes, dried my hands, picked up my keys, got in my car and drove to my dad's office. And I have no, I have recollection of deciding not to go see him. I don't have any recollection of changing my mind. I just, suddenly found myself doing it. And my father, who was a chiropractor, almost never, if I walked into an office, he was almost always in a treatment room. Re- very rarely would I luck out and he was between patients. And least of all in his office, which is in the back. I walked to the back door, he was sitting at his office, sitting at his desk in his office. I was thrilled. And we greeted each other and he said, oh, hello, daughter. And we got up, we hugged. And he told me a funny joke. Like he kind of commented on some lady that was up front and he, he laughed and like made like a grab He had a bunch of hickeys and he was like, <laughs> he made kind of like a funny noise and, and walked off just laughing at his own joke. And I, in that same way, I really connected to where she says how lucky she felt because he picked up the phone and he doesn't like, I got, I lucked out. I, I followed this moment, went to go see my dad and he died that afternoon. He was gone by 2 PM. That same day. Same day. Yeah, I saw him, left him there, and he passed away about three hours later.
1: Wow, Melanie.
0: such a gift that I recognized, oh, I now have the gift of that razor-sharp memory of that moment with my dad before he was gone. So I really, it seemed small in the documentary she was talking about. It was really big to me. I thought, wow, I get how big that is to her because it really puts a pin in some things, you know. Um, so that's it. That's where that documentary ends. I'd love for you to share. I know you have some notes on their approach and, and kind of how the, the documentary was made. And I'd love to, for you to dig into a little bit of that if you want to.
1: Now, I did in the credits, they announced that his brother had died this year.
0: He did. Is yeah. Has that
1: always been there if they added that?
0: I have to believe they added it, right? And well, it came out in
1: March and I think he, I don't know when he passed. We'll have to look that up. I either didn't watch the credits the first time I saw it or it wasn't there. Okay. I didn't remember seeing it. Yeah. I did just hear.
0: And I saw that Kelly Carlin talked about it on her on her social. Yeah, she talked about her uncle. She gave him a little tribute. He was a character, right? I would love to know what yeah. that what would that guy do with the rest of his life. After that car salesman was on Ed Sullivan, what was the rest of the story?
1: Uh no, I mean I that note on your Father, I think, really drives it home. Yeah.
0: Yeah. At the end of the day, honestly, I felt this through line in this movie where there was so much of her, of Kelly Carlin telling the story of these parents she loved so much, but being really raw and honest about the troubles that they faced, both inadvertently and of their own doing and how that really landed on them and, and inadvertently on her, you know. But ultimately, this like kind of it's really a love letter.
1: Yeah, and like I said, I sat down not being a fan of George Carlin, knowing him and knowing right. what I knew. And so I knew this wasn't going to be something that I was going to go, oh, yeah, 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 right. that I was going to learn. And I did learn a lot. I did learn a lot about George Carlin other than the George Carlin I knew of. Balding man with long hair and a tie-dye. Right. Saying words my... Parents would wash my mouth out with soap. If I said, "So yeah," uh,
0: you're right. By the way, I just looked it up. He passed away in June of this year. I mean, of June. Wait, I'm said sorry.
1: 2022. Yeah,
0: 2022. Sorry, um, I looked up Patrick Carlin and it gave me George. Of course, he died in April of this year, and the this documentary came out in March. So you're right; they probably added it
1: after yeah. the fact. Why? Well, yeah. But well, that would confirm I did not watch the credits because <laughs> I I watched it past <laughs> April or whenever.
0: Yeah, I my notes on just the telling of it honestly were you know, it's pretty deep dive, which I think is the telltale sign of of sort of Bonfiglio and and Apatow's approach. I think right they I mean the the Shandling documentary is exhausted. They're in both terms of
1: they're both depth. fantastically produced documentaries. I mean, they know what they're doing.
0: I think you were saying that you could have done with it being shorter. Do you feel like if you had, if you're a rabid Carlin fan, do you feel like you would hold that attitude or do you feel like it's not shaped by the fact that you weren't a rabid Carlin fan?
1: Yeah. And I really try, I really wanted to answer that question objectively, which one can't do because it's your opinion. (laughs) Um, I, I I almost felt like there was an obligation to make it to. Parts because this is George Carlin, I right. mean, a, a forefather of sure. the modern day comedian. So at the end, you're seeing a lot of his stand up, right? right? I mean, you're watching big chunks of it. Yes. Where with Gary Shanley, you don't see hardly any of his stand up right. because he, you know, he had so much drama with right. his show, and then the Tonight Show battles, and then Larry Sanders, all stuff that, right? I, you know, I'm a Gary Shanley fan. His comedy is just Really knocked it out of the park for me. I have a newfound appreciation for George Carlin uh, yeah. that I did not have before, and uh, just as a craftsman, just yeah, just yeah, so intelligent and so spot on. Yeah, uh, that I got that message probably without having to need to see so much of his stand up. Got, got it. But would I go back and see a stand up with? If it was, wasn't in here, probably not. So, I mean, it's long, right? Yeah. It's it's what, almost four hours, isn't it?
0: I want to say it's three, but I don't know. Three hours, yeah. an hour and a half each? Yeah, I think so. 90 minutes apiece.
1: Give a piece. So, yeah, I don't know if making it two parts makes it more accessible for I, the non-documentarian yeah. podcaster, <laughs> but uh, I, yeah, how do I put this? Because I, I give it a thumbs up. Yeah. It just... I felt it meandered a little just by showing his right. performances right. at the at the length that they did.
0: I do feel like also potentially the Shanling duck felt a little fresher because Judd had benefit of all those like his actual inner thoughts, yeah. just diaries that you know everything we got. For and the they most worked part. with them. He worked with them, but also we you know it's very rare that you get to tell a a story of someone to, to build an homage to them and have so much access to their inner monologue about their own life. And I think that that's why for me, the Shanling documentary, why I've just watched it voluntarily without even having done this podcast three times already. um, Just the exploration of a person's inner evolution is, and I feel like, you get a little bit of that with George Carlin, but most of this is really externalized stuff. Yeah,
1: it's true.
0: You get The one part of that, you, that where you get that is that Kelly Carlin is helping tell the story, and she is the insider in that club of three people. Yeah. And so you're getting this piece that the public didn't get, but it's surrounded by a lot of stuff that the public already got. And so maybe that's a part of it, too, is I think the through line of, of the Shamling Doc is just so much inner—his inner life really is there on the page. Which I, you know, listen. I used to be really guilty of reading my sister's diary, so that's probably deeply satisfying to me.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Plus, you're a real—I f- mean, you love com—knowing you as long as I've known you, you love comedy. That's that's a I love it important component.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: And so, a documentary about a comedian who's affected comedy as much as George Carlin has. Yeah. You know, yes, that's you. You're going to see it. I take comedy for granted for better for some, not saying I'm such a master at comedy that I don't need. Right, right. And when I do actually invest time in watching a stand-up right. or, or listening to it, I love it. Right. go, man, that's an art form I don't have. Right. Even though I think I'm a funny guy. Kia, uh, uh, it, it's, and, and you just, you don't want it, to, when it's good, you don't want it to end. You don't, you don't want, want to him to leave the stage, yeah. right?
0: Yeah. I mean, I've probably watched every, oh, well. Certain episodes of Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee just on repeat. Right, I just them talking to each other, talking about comedy. It's just, it's such a, it's, it's comedy porn for me. I'll just watch it and watch it and watch it and watch it.
1: <laughs> we have a friend who lives out in Vegas, and all he does is watch stand-up comedy oh, over really? and over again.
0: Oh god, I yeah, didn't know he's, that.
1: and it because it's his way of escaping. He can't watch the news. Okay, his sports teams <laughs> fail him, <laughs> but comedy's always there for him, and he just <laughs> over and over.
0: Well, if you've made it this far, we really appreciate you. Um, this was a long one. We did choose to um, start with this documentary and the next two that we'll unpack based on the fact that they're Emmy-nominated. We didn't do all of the Emmy-nominated documentaries, but... When uh, is
1: the Emmys doing uh, that?
0: The Emmys are going to be September 20th, and these will come out. I won't put a date on it, so this stays evergreen, but these will come out prior to that. Um,
1: do you think it has a chance of winning?
0: I mean, of course. I, it's up against... I can tell you that it's up against the Tinder swindler. It's up against, Lucy which we Desi. will unpack indeed. And it's up against Lucy and Desi, oh, which is such a,
1: what why? else, what else is it up against? Oh,
0: it's up against, um, we feed people, which is Ooh. the documentary. And that's tough. Cause that's a real important yeah. one. Right. And gosh, I feel terrible. There's five nominees and I can't put my finger on that last one.
1: We as the documentary podcast, we should probably know this stuff.
0: (laughs) I mean, I did, but I don't remember. Um, However, we will be covering the the other two that I talked about, the Tinder Swindler and Lucy and Desi. We're not going to do all five. We will not do all five. You know, there's just no time to do that many before then but we will we will do that and so they're going to be on the 20th and so we're going to really focus uh, really we really appreciate you guys hanging in there if you got it you made it this far this is a lengthy one the next one is the tinder spindle will be a little shorter um but we appreciate you you can find podumentary um wherever you find podcasts and you, you listen to your podcasts we are on all of the platforms and we'd love it if you would become an omnichannel fan and go over to our website at uh www.podumentary.co, not com, but co. We are not podumentary.com because they wanted $10,000 for that URL and we are operating on the cheap. So, um, and then we also are on all of the social media platforms. So please find us there and follow us there. Sign up for our newsletter and don't miss a thing um, going forward. And uh, once again, I am Melanie Dark. And this is Jim Hudson, and we are Podumentary, a podcast for documentary lovers. Podumentary is executive produced by me, Melanie Dark, and produced by both Jim Hudson and I with the support of our fearless production coordinator, Kate Dark. The The podcast is recorded and engineered at New Vine Music Studios in sunny Santa Monica. And our theme song is the 1950s movie intermission classic, Let's All Go to the Lobby, licensed courtesy of Filmac Studios. You can find more episodes of this podcast and smash that subscribe button at podumentary.co. That's podumentary.co. We'd also love to hear your take on this documentary you can use our website's recorded message feature to do that and we might even feature your message in a future episode if voicemail isn't your thing you can shout out your comments, criticisms or documentary requests on Instagram, Facebook and TikTok at @podumentary, and on Twitter at @podumentarypod. If straight up old fashioned emails more your speed, drop us a line using hey at podumentary.com and if you've gotten this far, you're one of us see you next time